Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, in his book, Written in Blood, uh, Robert Coleman tells of the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. Uh, she was very sick with, uh, uh, with, a, with a, a certain disease that her brother, this boy had, Robert had, had uh, this, this boy had, had suffered from two years earlier. And now his sister had come down with it and, and he was fully healthy. He had conquered the disease. And since the two children had the same rare blood type, it only made sense that the little boy would be the ideal donor. And so the doctor came in the room and he asked the boy, uh, we'll just call him Johnny, and he said, Johnny, would you give your blood to marry your sister? And as the doctor asked that, Johnny hesitated for a moment and his lower lip began to quiver and tremble. And then he smiled and said, sure, for my sister. Soon the two of the children were wheeled into the hospital room and, and Mary, pale and thin, Johnny, robust and, and healthy, neither of them spoke, but when their eyes met, you could see the connection between them. And Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded as he began to watch the blood slowly flow through the tube. When the ordeal was almost over, with his voice slightly shaken, it broke the silence, and he looked at the doctor and said, Doctor, when do I die? And it was only then that the doctor realized why Johnny had hesitated when he asked the question of whether he would be willing to give his blood to his sister. You see, he thought that by giving his blood for his sister that it would mean that he would die, and he was willing to die for his sister. Johnny fortunately didn't have to die to save his sister. Each of us though, however, has a condition that's called sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so you and I had a problem, but how many are grateful today for Jesus Christ who is willing to give his life and his blood so that you and I did not have to die, but could receive eternal life. Jesus didn't just give up his blood, he gave up his life for us. In the following verses, as we continue the series we've been in, in the book of Hebrews, called Jesus is Better. He's going to show us some reasons why Jesus' blood and sacrifice, what they accomplished for us, and why Jesus is better. And at the end of the message, we're going to receive communion. And again... This is a family service, and so I recognize that maybe some of the children in here today, uh, you have not been taught of what communion is all about. So I'm going to leave that decision up to your parents as to whether your parents feel that you understand and know what Jesus has done as we receive that uh, at the end of the service today. But as I go through it, we're going to talk about what Jesus' blood, what Jesus giving his life, what Jesus came, what it accomplished for us. Four reasons Jesus came. Number one, Jesus came to restore our lost destiny. Our lost destiny. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5, says this. 
It is not to angels that he was subjected to the world, that he subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honor, and you put everything under their feet. So what what the writer of Hebrews is talking about is quoting from one of the Psalms, which talks about the place of mankind in creation, how God had created mankind and the purpose in which God had created them. And he says, you crown them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under them, it continues on, God let nothing that is not subject to them, yet at the present, and this is the important line here, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So here's the problem. When when God had created mankind, if we go all the way back in the beginning to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, when God created mankind, he created mankind to rule and to reign. When God created mankind, he had put all creation under his feet. In fact, Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion, that means rulership, dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves along the ground. But something happened in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, man exchanged the authority and the position that they had in God for sin and chose to, to sin against God, chose to rebel against God, and in doing so, lost that place of dominion and rulership. Romans chapter 8, 19 to 22, the apostle Paul shares about this. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, that is freedom, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So not only did mankind lose that dominion, but creation itself began to be frustrated, began to experience the problem of sin. And the problem of sin and decay, and it's why as we look around our world today that is under the law of sin and death and experiencing the problems of sin in our world today, we see things like natural disasters, we see things like cancer and disease, we see things around our world like violence and, 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 and where, where people loss of life in, in mass droves, we, we see men fighting against one another in conflict and division. Why? Because of a sin issue. Because sin was introduced and not only was mankind affected by the wages of sin, which is death, but also the entire world in which we live has been subject to that and frustrated unto that, subject to that futility and is awaiting the glorious liberty and freedom that comes when Jesus Christ returns to the earth. It's one of the purposes why Jesus came. Jesus came to restore our lost destiny. 
Verse 8 reminds us that although the intention of God may have been to have the, the, the dominion and rulership, the everything subject to mankind, that at present that is not the way that it is. All things are not subject to man. A commentator, William Barclay, comments on this situation. He says, man was meant to have dominion over everything, but he has not. He is a creature who is frustrated by his circumstances, defeated by his temptations, encircled by his own weaknesses. He who should be free is bound. He who should be king is a slave. C.K. Chesterton said it this way, whatever is or is not true about men, man, there is one thing that is certain. Man is not what he was meant to be. Because of sin, man is not what he is meant to be. Because of, of sin, the world is not what it was meant to be. Man does not have dominion over everything, including himself. I know we like to think that, right? We like to believe the lie of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 that said, when you eat of the, the, the fruit of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You will know what is right and what is wrong. And yet we know very much that that is simply not true. Not only do we not have dominion over our external circumstances, although people try. That's why they get on power trips. Man cannot even simply rule himself or his own heart or his own nature. Everything is not subjected to man. Hurricanes and floods and earthquakes, diseases that ravage. And let's just be honest, none of us are getting any younger. We haven't found a fountain of youth. Every day I wake up, I'm reminded of that when there seems to be a new pain that I go, where did that come from? What did I do yesterday? <laughs> right? And this is, this is where the writer of Hebrews then uses the transitional word, the conjunction. Remember that from conjunction, junction, right? What's your function? Come on, right? Uses that little conjunction, junction, but... But I love when there, there is a but in scripture. I love when all things are not as they are supposed to be. All things are not subject as they should be. Oh, but here it is in verse 9. But we do see Jesus. Come on, that's the answer. We do see who? Jesus. We do see who? Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, we might taste death. Or excuse me, for the, for, except by the grace of God, he might taste death, death for everyone. Oh, that's so important, right? But Jesus... Man's dilemma, man's kind dilemma is we, we suffer the frustration of living in a, a sin-filled world, a lost world. We lost that subject and that we lost what was subject under us and that dominion. Oh, but Jesus. Oh, but Jesus. Come on, somebody. Oh, but Jesus, that he might suffer and die for mankind. Oh, for a little while, that he would become like us, humanity. For a little while, that he would subject himself and be in our position, a little lower than the angels, that he might be in our position. Oh, but he didn't stay in that way. That he might taste death a little bit for us, that you and I might 
might be restored to life. That our destiny in him might be restored in Jesus. Oh, for a little while. Oh, for a little while. Philippians talks about that. How he emptied himself. And how he became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. But oh, how he didn't stay there. But God raised him up. But God raised him up. And now he is exalted, sitting at the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns. And restores us to a position in the family where we also will one day reign as sons and daughters of God. That through Christ, he gives us that ability and that power we do not possess on our own through his Holy Spirit. To begin to say, I am no longer subject to the flesh. I'm no longer subject to the sinful nature. No, in Christ, I have risen above. I now have a power I did not have, not of myself, but of Christ and of his spirit. Tim Keller tells the story of a 1964 murder of Kitty Genovese in Manhattan. The story's become infamous, and uh, some of you may know, some of you may not. What her story is, is the mugger had came up to her and stabbed her and she screamed, oh my God, he stabbed me. At that point, lights all around began to, to come on and, and people began to look out their windows. And at that point, the mugger backed into the shadows a little bit, but nobody came to help Kitty. Nobody wanted to put themselves in, harm way, in harm's way. It was documented that there were 37 people who turned their lights on and looked out their window and saw what was happening. But when the assailant saw that nobody was coming to help, nobody was coming to save her, he, dragged, he came back to the alley where she had dragged herself out of the way while there was that pause. And he killed her and took $49 from her purse because nobody wanted to get involved. Nobody wanted to risk their lives. To save hers. But friends, that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus didn't stay in heaven. Jesus didn't stay away from everything and look down and go, oh, what a shame. Poor mankind. Look what they did. Poor humanity. No, he left where he was and he put his very life on the line and risked his own life that you and I might be saved. At the very cost of his life. That he might restore our lost destiny. 2 Timothy 2.12 encourages us that if we endure, we will also reign with him. We will reign with him if we endure. Not only did he come to, to regain, our, to restore our lost destiny, but he came to recover our lost unity. Verse 10. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, it says, here I am. And the children of God has given me. The children, excuse me, and the children God has given me. What does this mean? How do we unpack this? How do we begin to understand what the writer is, is saying here? Well, in some translations, it's fitting it's, it's fitting here. It says that, that it was fitting that God, another, another way, way to say that is it was becoming or displaying or setting off to the best advantage. 
It was becoming to him to bring mankind back into God's original design. It was fitting or becoming or immensely logical that that God who made everything for his glory through his suffering, through the suffering of Jesus Christ, would lead man back to the glory that he once had held. And he does this because it says he is our, uses the word pioneer, pioneer. He, he's the one who, who opens the way. A pioneer can also be uh, translated champion. And I don't know if you remember, but oftentimes in the Old Testament, when armies would begin to fight one another, rather than all of the armies going into battle together, oftentimes they would select someone who would, who would represent them. They would select a warrior who would, who would represent them, who would go out into battle against the, the warrior on the other, uh, on the other side of the other nation's army who would come out. And those warriors would fight against one another as representatives of their armies. And the one who was victorious, that army would, would gain the victory that day. How many remember when, when, when the Israelites were were in a standoff against the Philistines. Anybody remember that? They were in a standoff against the Philistines and there was a champion of the Philistines. What was his name? Somebody help me out. Goliath, right? And he said, Some, you send somebody out to fight me. Why should we all come out? You send someone out to fight me. And, 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 and whoever wins, whoever wins, that army will be victorious. And day after day, nobody wanted to go out. Except for a little shepherd boy that showed up and said, who defies the armies of the living God? And David went out, not with a sword or a spear, with a shepherd's, a little shepherd's hook and, a, and, a, and a, a sling and some stones. And he took down that giant and he became the champion of Israel. Can I, can I tell you something? David is, is a picture pointing to the one who would be our champion, the one who is to come. And what is his name? Come on, somebody help me out. Jesus, 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 who takes down the enemy, Jesus, who, who, who fights on our behalf, who fought on our behalf, who gave his life on our behalf so that you and I might be, be restored. He is our champion. His sufferings in flesh made him perfect for the task of restoring lost unity with the Father. His humanity was so important because he took on flesh and did what we cannot. Romans calls him the second Adam. Where the first Adam had failed and you and I passed that sin nature down. Jesus came in the flesh but did not sin. But was obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And as a result of that, you and I can now be called Brothers and sisters in the family of God, children of God, children of God, because look at verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Anybody ever faced temptation before? Because Jesus Christ overcame, you and I now have the ability through Christ to overcome temptation. It no longer has a hold on us. And while we are celebrating Independence Day in our nation, we also celebrate today the freedom that we have in Christ where we are no longer subject to the power of sin and death. But we have been delivered because of what Christ suffered, because of what he did. 
His humanity makes him one with those being saved. What does that mean? He restores our lost unity, sanctified. Being sanctified means being made right or being made holy. So sin had separated us from God, but Jesus brought us back into unity with God and gives us the identity, and he's proud to call us brothers and sisters. Did you, did you catch that? In, in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 2, did you catch at the end? It says, he says, I declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises back up a moment. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Because of, of what Christ did, we have been brought into the family and Jesus is no longer ashamed. There's not ashamed of us, but rather he calls us brothers and sisters. Kind of like when the prodigal son came home and the father put a ring on his finger. He came groveling saying, I'm just going to be a servant. I'm just going to be a servant. And the father said, enough of that, enough of that, enough of that. You're my son. You're my son. Kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. For the son of mine who is dead, who is lost, he has been found. He has come home. Mm, that's good stuff. It reminds me of the, one of the things I love about the resurrection scenes. I love celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. I like to celebrate Easter every day, right? But in John 7, 20, 17, Jesus encounters Mary in the garden. She thinks he's the, the, the gardener. She doesn't recognize him until he says her name, Mary. And all of a sudden, the eyes come open. And, and I love what Jesus says to Mary. He says, go tell my brothers that I've, that I've been raised. You know, of all the things to call them, you know, they were the ones who, 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 when Jesus was arrested, scattered. I mean, Peter was one of those ones, and he even denied even knowing Jesus. We just know about Peter, but, but the others, I mean, they, they kind of scattered. They kind of left. They kind of they stopped believing. They kind of went away. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 I call you brothers. Go, go find them. Go tell them. Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers that I've been raised. Go tell my brothers that I have risen. Listen, he was not ashamed to own them. And can I tell you something? Don't let the enemy lie to you. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call you children of God. He, he is not ashamed of you. You might say that there are others. Maybe in your life there was somebody who looked down on you and they were ashamed of you because of certain things. And you, you kind of want to project that onto God. Let me tell you something. When you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness and grace. Jesus, I need your mercy. Jesus, I need the salvation that you offer. And let me tell you something. You become a child of God. He is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to bring you into the family. He restored our lost unity. Thirdly, Jesus came to release us from our bondage to death. I've been jumping ahead all, of my, all the time. So let's just get into it. Since the children, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might, look at this. You might want to underline this, circle this, highlight this. He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Next to the fear of talking in front of other people, the fear of death ranks up there as one of the biggest fears everybody has, right? I mean, I'm talking, people don't like to get up and talk in front of everybody, but, but many people don't. Jesus identifies this bondage of sin to also a fear of death. What happens when I die? 
What happens when I die? There are people all over the place that fear death. They try everything they can to escape death. There's this fear of death. But Jesus came to deliver us from that fear that we didn't have to worry. We don't have to worry about what happens after we die. Death can be terrifying because it feels like the end. Often we're not confident what's happening on the other side. I don't know what is. What's on the other side? But the truth is, consciously or unconsciously, death can be a scary thing. But Hebrews 2.14 says that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That, That word destroy literally means not simply to annihilate, but to render powerless. That death is powerless. It no longer holds that power literally rendered impotent to nullify, to render inoperative or inconsequential. That's good stuff. When Jesus died on the cross and he arose on the third day, Satan lost his grip on the power of death and the threat of fear that he had placed on mankind. No longer do we need to fear that death when we have our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to give a smattering of scriptures after uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I just kind of broke it up. So you're going to get a smattering of scriptures starting in verse 20. And we're just going to kind of break it up. Let me just read to you what Paul wrote. Because Paul speaks of what was won for us in Christ. It's really powerful. But now Christ has risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21. For since by man came death, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Jump up to verse 26. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So verse 54, we jump ahead, says, So when this uh, corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Oh, but here's that conjunction junction again. But (laughs) thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we still, we still experience death. But for the believer, it's merely a sting. But it is not final. You might feel the effects. You might grieve. And that's a normal thing to do to grieve. But you don't grieve as those who are without hope. And you don't fear death like those that are without hope, but rather you recognize that to be absent from the body, Scripture says, is to be present with the Lord. Why? Because Jesus Christ destroyed death. He destroyed sin. He destroyed the wages of of sin, which is death. And he promises us eternal life. So it's simply, I leave this life and I enter that life and I am with the Lord. I'm with the Lord. My bondage to fear is no longer. Number five, I got to hurry up. Jesus came to restore us from defeat. Verse 16, for surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants for this reason. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, so this is a mouthful. 
Jesus, Jesus, again, made atonement for the people in a few moments. We're going to receive communion together because communion is a reminder of the celebration of Passover that, that it happened. And in the celebration of Passover, what had taken place is, is that there was a, a lamb that was sacrificed, pure and spotless lamb, and the blood of that lamb was put over the doorposts of that house, protecting from the angel of death. That the angel of death would pass over that household as long as the blood was over the doorposts. Later on, when God established in the wilderness at Mount Sinai and, and, and the tabernacle, there's a sacrificial system that God had enabled because the people were not right with God. And so he, he, he would call the high priest. The first one was Moses' brother, Aaron. He was consecrated as a high priest. He was human and he was flawed. So he had to make sacrifice on behalf of himself and consecrate himself. But then he would take that lamb and he would sacrifice that lamb and he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the, in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat. And that would atone for the sins of the people and allow them to be back in right relationship with God, no longer having the fear his judgment or death. But the problem was that was limited and had to be done every single year. Every single year. Something that had to be done over and over. But oh, then came Jesus, who is both the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, both the sacrifice that by his blood, but also the high priest that when he died on the cross, he entered into the most holy place and he once and for all with his own blood made atonement at the mercy seat. And scripture tells us that at that moment when Jesus breathed his last and was in there and he had offered his blood on the mercy seat once and for all, it atoned for us and the veil that was in the tower, in the temple at that time, that thick curtain, that thick veil that kept everyone out of being in the holy of holies in the presence of God was torn into therefore allowing us who believe access into the very throne room of God come on somebody making atonement for the sins of the people he made atonement and became a propitiation that's a a big word that, that simply means that he satisfied the anger and the judgment of God that by his own sacrifice and by his own obedience he atoned he he atoned for the anger the anger of God became that substitute that propitiation and he took our place and it means that God justice is satisfied so today we're all there's a lot of people crying out about justice 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 let me tell you something God is just it wasn't just that he overlooked sin he didn't just brush it into a corner and pretend it didn't happen sin had to be punished Sin has to be punished, otherwise God would not be just. But Jesus took on that punishment so that he could satisfy the holiness and the justice of God. That you and I might receive the victory instead. That God is no longer angry with us when we have the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of our life. But rather we can enter into this relationship with him and have victory. Come on somebody, that's exciting stuff. <laughs> doesn't mean Christians don't die. The writer speaks of giving aid in verse 18. It's a word that literally means a mother caring for a baby. Literally, when the baby begins to cry and the mother responds to the cry of the baby, that's what's all in this word. That's what's in this word. It means to bring help when it is needed. 
And so whenever we cry out, we're going to read later on in the book of Hebrews that as our great high priest, we don't have one who, who cannot sympathize or empathize with our weakness, but was tempted and tested in every way and yet was without sin. It is him that we can come to in our time of need to receive help when we need it, that we can cry out to him. Why? Because of what Christ did in satisfying the anger and the justice of God. He satisfied that so that you and I might have this relationship that when we are in need we cry out to God and he runs to us and meets our need worship team will you come through Jesus he restored our destiny our destiny in Christ was restored our unity with the father that was broken has been restored the bondage and the wages of sin which is death has been broken and we no longer have to have that we have been forgiven and free and we're victorious in Christ that's why Jesus is better because nobody has done what Jesus did for you and I thank you for listening to today's podcast we pray that you're encouraged by this message for more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.